I want to talk uh, a bit this morning about, um, you know, in our life groups, we've been uh, looking at 1 John and uh, in, in John's letters, he kind of, I mean, he's already written the gospel and in his letters, um, he's kind of pulling out various bits of that, various challenges from the gospel. And I wanted this morning just to revisit uh, the whole um, subject of what is the gospel. What is, you know, we talk about the gospel and um, I guess many of us will have different views and ideas about what the gospel is. But I want this morning just to focus on what the Bible has to say about what the gospel is. Gospel literally means good news. So um, whatever the gospel is, for any of us, it has to be good news because that's what gospel means. Yes? Okay. So uh, in order to kind of get us rolling on that, um, on that subject, uh, there's just something I want to deal with first because this is a conversation that I have all the time. And what I want to talk about just for a minute is the problem with belief. The problem with belief is this is that um, everybody has their own, but we can't all be right. Hello? So when it comes to belief, um, I talk to a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the cafe who will say to me, well, I believe God is like this, you know, I believe God is like that. Um, Some people think of God as some kind of Father Christmas type figure, you know, who... Um, sits in heaven and, and uh, sends little gifts and things every now and again. Some people think that God is uh, mean and cruel and, and, uh, and they don't really want to know him. Um, people have all sorts of different ideas about what God is like, but God cannot be all of those things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, it can be some of those things, for sure, but he can't be all of those things. And just because we think something should be a certain way doesn't mean that it gets to be that way. You understand that, don't you? That, that just because I think something is a good idea doesn't make it right, doesn't make it true, and doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's just what I think. Yeah? And we have to learn to separate what I think from actually what is truth, because sometimes the two things don't match up. And we need to take that journey of from what I think to the place of truth. Now, if we are Christians, and we, you know, this is a Christian church, so that's the... You know, the, the foundation we're starting from if we are Christians our truth comes from this book yes and so we rely this this is you know Jesus is our inspiration this is our information hello okay Mm. Jesus is our inspiration but this is our information this book the Bible uh, tells us what God is like, tells us how he thinks, tells us how he behaves, tells us what his intentions are, tells us how we can have a relationship with him, all of those sorts of things. And so when we are thinking about God, when we are thinking about stuff to do with God, particularly about the way that God relates to our lives, this book is the template. This book tells us what we need to know. And if what we think doesn't add up with the book, then we have to reshape what we think. Are you with me? Because there can only be one truth. Yes? And this is where you find it. All right? Now, as I've said before, because the Bible is a big book written by a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, there are some things in here that we can disagree on. Yeah? There are some things that we can argue about. and You know, stuff like... um, Creation, you know, which is usually the beginnings and the ends, isn't it? Stuff like creation and all of that, we can argue about that and that's fine. 
stuff like the end times, you know, and revelation and all of that kind of thing, eschatology, we can argue about that and that's fine. But there are some things that we really cannot argue about because the Bible is very, very clear about them and we need to just accept them or I guess not call ourselves Christians. Yeah? Okay, so it's fairly serious. But that's where we're starting from. We're starting with um, Jesus as our inspiration and the Bible as our information. If you're wanting to follow this in your Bible, I'm about to read something from Luke chapter 4. Luke 4 verse 18, it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is Jesus speaking, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Uh, That's the gospel, yes? And then he proceeds to say, you know, what that good news is. What is that good news? Um, Good news uh, uh, is sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The gospel encapsulates all of these things. The gospel um, has to do with uh, our reconciliation with God, which is what I'm going to focus on in a moment. But it also has to do with people getting healed. It also has to do with people getting set free. I love it when we're singing some of those songs and we get to those lines about healing and about freedom. And, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of a swell in the room, isn't there? That actually we get a bit more excited because we understand that because we've met Jesus, we have found a freedom that we didn't have before, that things have changed. And that's good news, isn't it? And that is the essence of the gospel, liberty for the captives, liberty for those who are oppressed, and to experience the Lord's favor. In other words, to live in the favor of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we know God. It means that we have a relationship with him, uh, that it's a two-way relationship, and that we benefit, we are blessed by, you know, we, we are encouraged by, we grow by that relationship. And most importantly, that relationship is what saves us. Yes? Okay. So God has a plan. God has a plan to show his favor. That, that plan includes forgiveness, restoration, and life. Forgiveness, you know, is quite a, a, a big issue. That and I think it was, if you haven't done this yet in your group, you'll probably do it next session. But there's a, a section in 1 John where uh, it's talking about sin. And we've been identifying what, what is sin. And you know, forgiveness is a massive issue. Because if you have sinned, if you've done something you shouldn't have done, there is a kind of a deposit in your spirit, a deposit in your psyche, which needs dealing with. Yeah? And the only way for that to get deal with is to re- dealt with is to receive forgiveness. So forgiveness is quite a big deal. And of course, Jesus, when he's teaching about forgiveness, he says that you must forgive others if you want to be forgiven. It's a two-way street. Yeah. So forgiveness is quite significant and important. Let me read you some more scriptures. We're just going to have a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about how this gospel works. Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul is very keen for us to understand that God is a God of grace. What does grace mean? Grace means that you get things that you don't deserve. Grace means that God gives you stuff that actually you shouldn't get because you don't deserve it because you haven't done anything to earn it. So God loves you. That's a part of his grace. You don't deserve that, but that's because God is a God of grace. He loves you. He has determined that he will love you and nothing's going to change his mind on that. And he says a little later on, in fact, let's have that one up for us, Romans 6, 23. Paul tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is grace, that you don't earn it, but because God loves you, he freely will give you that. Yes? Okay. I'm glad you're following this. You all look like you're kind of jet-lagged from having an extra hour in bed. <laughs> Interestingly, nobody turned up an hour early this morning, so we all must have registered that one properly. That's good. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin or rebellion or disobedience or selfishness, however you want to describe it, earns you something. And there's something that it earns you, you really don't want. Hello? That, that's what Paul is telling us. That actually if we continue to live, let's call it an ungodly life. In other words, a life that's not designed to please God. That, that we will dig a pit for ourselves and begin to bury ourselves in it. It has, if, if every time you do something that is an offence to God, and that's what sin is. I mean, I know that you've been coming up with your own definitions of sin. My definition is, and always has been, that sin is anything that you think or say or do which is an offence to God. So sin is not just the things that you do that are wrong, but it's the things that you think that are wrong, and it's the things that you say that are wrong. They are all sin. Anything that offends God is a sin. All those things need dealing with. All those things attract a wage and you don't want that payment okay you really don't want that payment but the free gift of God is eternal life you cannot buy eternal life you cannot earn it you certainly don't deserve it but you get it for free so how does that work well um, Paul carries on Romans 3:23. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation simply means that God pays the price of your sin, that Jesus actually cleans the slate through his death on the cross. When, when Jesus dies and he gives his life, his life is not taken from him, he gives his life as a, as a payment, as a, like a ransom. And so there are places in the New Testament where it's described as a ransom. In other words, you have been taken captive. You have been held hostage because of your own attitudes and behavior, because you have sinned because you have offended God, because you've been selfish, because you've been disobedient, all of those things, okay? 
have brought you to this place of, of captivity. You have been taken captive. And Jesus pays the ransom that sets you free. The cross pays the ransom that brings you freedom. And it comes as a free gift from God. Did you, did you get that bit? Let's be glad. <laughs> yeah, and I know that it's um, it's sometimes um, you, you're probably all much nicer people than me, and probably far more spiritual, and you know, but it's sometimes a bit frightening when you take a good look at yourself and you realise your potential for doing things that you shouldn't do. And I'm just glad. Because I, I couldn't afford the grace of God if I had to pay for it. If I had to do something for it, I couldn't afford it. It comes for free. And if it, if it came any other way, we wouldn't get it. You know? But it comes for free because he loves us. It, just in case you're under any illusions, 1 John 1, 8, you will have come across this already in your life group, says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's clear from what the Bible tells us that we are all sinners. And if we are all sinners, then we all need a saviour. Yes? If we're all sinners, we all need a saviour. We find this saviour through faith. You know, without faith, Jesus is just a name. Without faith, Jesus um, is relegated to a historical figure. Without faith, Jesus just becomes some person sometime, someplace in history. But when we engage with him through faith, he becomes reality for us. We embark on a relationship with a real person, the risen, ascended Jesus. And so faith is very important. And Ephesians 2 verse 8 says it very clearly, for by grace you have been saved through faith. God in his grace... And this is, the really, this is the really great bit, okay, because it's our faith that saves us, but God gives you the faith. Hello? <laughs> that always puts a smile on my face. I don't know what's wrong with you lot. That always puts a smile on my face. That actually the thing that saves me is my faith. The faith that I have that saves me is given to me by God. It's a gift from him. So he does the whole thing for us. Hello? When I, when I said it's free, it really is free. He does the whole thing for us. He pays every, every bill, every debt that needs paying from our lives. He takes care of it and then he gives us the faith to put our trust in him and that's what saves us. That's what gets us into relationship with him. That's what makes Jesus a reality in our lives rather than just a name of a person sometime, somewhere in history. Are you with me? Paul says it is the gift of God. And it's not by works. He says it's not, um, not by works. Why? Because actually nobody is good enough. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whoever you are, there will be something in your life that has wrecked your relationship with God. Whoever, whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your experience, there will be something that broke the connection. 
And Jesus comes to fix the connection. Jesus comes to put it right. Jesus comes to bring us salvation, to be saved from the consequences of our sins. And Paul is quite clear, none of us are good enough. And he says that he tells us that Jesus has done all of this for us. He tells us that it's for free. And he says it's not by our works. Why is it not by our works? Well, he says, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2.8, so that no one may boast. What does that mean? It means that actually when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to you being saved, when it comes to you having your past dealt with and your sins forgiven and becoming a new person, it was nothing to do with you. God did everything. You have nothing to brag about. You have nothing to be proud of. You have nothing to, to boost yourself up over. But you have plenty to brag about on God's behalf. Our boast should be in him. If we're going to brag about anything, we brag about how great Jesus is, not how great we are. Because we're the ones who stuffed up and <laughs> needed the help in the first place. And Jesus is the one who does everything for us. So he gets the glory. Hello? And I, and I know I've said this a few times of late, but let me kind of drop it in again. That actually, when you do something good, you should give Jesus the glory. Because otherwise, people think it's you that is good. And it's Jesus in you that is good. Hello? He's the one who does the good. He helps us. He, he makes us good in that sense. You remember the, the old Easter hymn, he died to make us good. And so we can boast in him, but we can't boast in ourselves. And then Paul carries on in, in those verses that we are his workmanship. Now, this is important because we need to understand that in this grand scheme of things and, and in this glorious salvation that we enjoy, that God actually has a plan. It's not just a plan to save us from our sins. It's not just a plan to get us into heaven, but he has a plan for the whole of our lives that he has designed and created us for a purpose, that we are here for a reason, that he has engaged with us and drawn us into relationship with him because we have a job to do. Are you with me? Psalm 139 verse 13, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it. Very well. The psalmist here, this is one of the Psalms of David, he's recognizing that everything that he is is created by God, that God put him together, that the stuff that he's good at, he's good at because that's how God made him. That the stuff that he does that impresses people, he, he does that because God gave him the capacity and the capability to do those things. That he is made for a purpose, that he becomes a great leader because God made him a leader, because God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And this is true for all of us, that we are all made to God's plan and made for a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, um, Paul tells us it's good works, that we should walk in them and give glory to God. I know that some of us have a bit of trouble with that sometimes, that you know we, we enjoy our salvation we enjoy our relationship with God we're grateful for all of that we're thankful that we have a new life we're thankful that we're born again the past is gone the new has come all of those things it's absolutely wonderful but actually now we're in that place we don't really want to do much about it we'd rather just enjoy being friends with God and not have to think about anything else 
But you see, Jesus doesn't let us get away with that. In Matthew 5, at verse 14, Jesus says this to his disciples and and the hangers-on who are all listening. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that actually, the same thing that Paul is saying, you have good works to do. That God has set stuff up for you to engage with. And in that engaging with that, you give glory to God. That God somehow is glorified, is lifted up. The people somehow in what you are doing see Jesus. And I want to tell you that very rarely happens unless you actually say something. Hello? Because when we do good stuff, people just think that we're good. People think that we're nice people. But God has set all of this up for his glory. So when we are doing something good, when we're engaged in all that, we should give glory to God so that people see him and know who he is. Yes? So faced with all of this, and let let me shorten it down to just a couple of sentences. We are all sinners. We are all separated from God. Jesus comes and pays the price of our sin and therefore because of that if we put our faith in him we can be reconnected to God. And that if we look to God, God gives us the faith that helps us to get reconnected so we become a new creation. We become born again. We get a fresh start. Our sin is dealt with. We find ourselves free and forgiven and ready to engage in the purposes of of God. So how do we respond to all of that? Well, this is another of uh, David's psalm, Psalm 86, and at verse 12 it says this, I give thanks to you, Lord, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. The only real response to the gospel, the only real response to this good news is to give our whole heart. That's the hard bit, Okay. God has done so much for us. The only honest response, the only good response, the only true response is to give him our whole heart. And if we do that, you know, we sang earlier, I have decided to follow Jesus. Then we do that in every part of our lives. We do that with the whole of our lives. Are you with me? As I was preparing this um, earlier this week, I was reminded of our old friend C.T. Studd. Um, Charles Thomas Studd, 1860 to 1931, was a, a famous British cricketer, and um, he played in the game, I think the Australians won, but it was kind of the forerunner of the whole Ashes thing. Um, he played on the England team uh, for that, but he became a great missionary. Um, he was a missionary to... China, and also um, set up the African Mission Society, which is still around today and still doing some fantastic work in Africa. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now that just about sums it up for me. If what we are reading in the scriptures and if what we are understanding is true, then the only real response to that is to give the whole of our lives to it because this is the truth, because Jesus is the truth, 
because really there's no other reasonable way. If he has done all of this for us, if he has saved us, if he has set us free, if he has given us a new life, if he has given us a fresh start, then the only real response is to give him the whole of our lives as a thank you. Are you with me? Um, CT stood, and I'm going to finish with this. Wow. We're well ahead of the game today. I might just say a few more things just to fill out the time a little bit. What do you think? Let's, um, well, what can we talk about? C.T. Studd wrote a, wrote a great hymn, and um, some of you may be familiar with it, but I wanted to read for you just the last couple of stanzas of this hymn, and um, you will undoubtedly recognize at least some of it. But uh, he encapsulates in this hymn, the thankful heart and the response that we should all have to what God has done for us. This is what he says. He says, Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. C.T. Studd had it right. I'm not suggesting this morning that uh, if you or a follower of Jesus, you have to go to China or Africa or anywhere else for that matter and um, put your life on the line and, and uh, do all of those things because we're not all called to do that. But the question is, what is in your heart? Because if God did call you to do that, what would you say? Would you go? Hello? <laughs> because it's, it's about what's in our hearts. We're not all called to be missionaries overseas somewhere. We're not all called... To, to do the things that we see other people doing. But if we are true followers and if we're truly grateful, then our hearts should be in the place where we would be saying, if that's what you tell me to do, that's what I will do. I remember reading um, Jackie Pullinger's book. Some, some of you will have read Jackie Pullinger's book. She was a missionary uh, in Hong Kong. How did she get to be a missionary in Hong Kong? Well, she was praying one day and she just felt God say to her, buy a ticket to Hong Kong. Well, she didn't have much money, so she just, in obedience to what she felt God was saying, bought a one-way ticket and went to Hong Kong. Didn't know what she was going to do. Didn't know how she was going to live. Um, it's an amazing story. One of the amazing things is that God led her to a place in Hong Kong, it's not there anymore, uh, called the Walled City, which was a place where um, people had basically occupied land which was not theirs, and it was a bit of a shanty town, only it was a vertical shanty town. They just kept building on top of it and on top of it and on top of it. And it was seven or eight stories high. And they were stealing, they were stealing electricity from the neighboring buildings. And the place was full of, of uh, drug addicts and, and um, people who were up to no good. I actually had seen it from the air because um, back then when you came into land in Hong Kong, you actually flew over the top of it to come down onto the landing strip in Hong Kong. 
And she found herself at the Wall City. She found herself seeing all, the, all this stuff going on and her heart breaking for the, uh, the lives that these people were stuck with living. And she asked God what she should do. And, and through various experiences and things, she came to a place where in Hong Kong she established a rehab center where people who had spent years and years and years on drugs and had totally messed up lives would come and through prayer would get healed. Through prayer would go through um, you know, all of the trauma of cold turkey in, in hours rather than months and sometimes years, you know, get through all of that and find themselves healed and find health and find a better life. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? How did that happen? Well, it started with one young woman who was prepared to do whatever God told her to do. And when God spoke to her heart, she rose up and followed him. Now, that might not be the story of your life. It's not the story of my life. Thank you, Jesus. You know? Um, no, I'm not saying I don't have struggles, but I don't have the struggles she had to face. But we have to have a heart that's ready to say, if that's what you call me to do, that's what I'll do. If that's where you call me to go, that's where I'll go. If you say, this is what my plan is for your life, then I will say, okay, Lord, let's do it. Let's go for this. It's, it's the only reasonable response to a God who has given us everything. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this um, because you can get into legalism with these sorts of things and tell you what you, mu what you must do and when you must do it and all those. No, it's not like that. Okay? Jesus loves you. Wants the best for you. Wants to have a relationship with you. Wants to bring you to a better place in life. Wants you to know freedom and forgiveness. wants to just pour out blessings on you. And, you know, he won't stop doing that if you don't rise up to whatever it is he calls you to do because he still loves you. You know, my kids don't always do what I want them to do, but they still get Christmas presents. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because I love them. But it's up to us. It's what's in our hearts. It's, we have received so much from God are we just going to take all of that and do nothing in return? Are we just going to take all of that and just say, thanks, Lord, and leave it there? I can't do that. And uh, I have determined, and I'm glad that God's been gentle with me, <laughs> but I have determined that if God says, do something, I'm going to do it. If he says, go somewhere, I'm going to go there. Because it's the only reasonable way I can think of to say thank you for everything that he's done for me. And I just want to encourage you this morning as we reflect on this glorious gospel as we reflect on what it means to be followers of Jesus, to, to know him, to have our lives set free, to know freedom and forgiveness, to enjoy his grace and his love and his faithfulness, uh, to enjoy all of those things. I just want you to reflect on all of that and encourage you to get to a place where you can say to God with a, with a true heart, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Whatever you call me to, I'm going to rise up to that. And it's going to be my thank you for everything that you've done for me.